This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think people forget how much our physical parents is into our mental health. John Legend's wife had recently had it. Chrissy, yeah. yeah. My youngest. youngest person, which upset me, was 14. But it went from, you know, people in their mid-twenties onwards to getting people in the early teens. People forget how much puberty changes with With Bella, I think there may have been certain tweaks. An award-winning cosmetic doctor, Good Surgeon's Guide Award for Best Clinic. All right. Well, it's amazing to have you on Dr. Esho. Thank you. Do you like to go by your official title? You know what? It depends where I am. I'm yeah. not going to lie. But um, no, nah, we're friends now, yeah. so you can Thank call you. me too. Right. I still like calling you Dr. Esho because right, cool. it, it feels very official. Yeah. You are an award-winning cosmetic doctor, mm. surgeon. Mm. You have got many accolades. Good Surgeon's Guide Award for Best Clinic, Safety and Beauty Award for Best Cosmetic Doctor, Harper's Bazaar Best Doctor, Forbes One to Watch, You've, you're also the resident medical doctor on E4's Body Fixers, and you've been on a number of different shows. Yeah. So when it comes to the world of cosmetics, you are that guy, basically. Yeah, it's weird when you hear you saying it back in that way, but yeah, um, it's something I love and very passionate about. As we were talking about, I don't really sleep. Yeah. Um, to do all of that, you've got to be on it all the time. Um, and it's a massive growing industry. It, it, it keeps growing. Yeah. Um, and it's just keeping on top of what's new, but also being safe at the same time, as you said. How have things changed? Like, what have you seen happen in this world of cosmetics and injectables and in general, like yeah. compared to when you first started? Yeah, I would say that now the amount of people having treatment and the age of entry into the market is drastically different. You know, when I first started, it was you know, still very much a treatment for middle class to rich because the expensive treatments, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but because so many players came into the market and because it's unregulated in the UK, we had this kind of race to the bottom where people were offering cheap alternatives, but people assumed they were getting the same quality as, say, coming to see someone like myself. So then we had a big market of different type of people, not just middle class and rich having these treatments. Then the effects of social media, I think, had a huge part because I remember part of my big biggest growth point was I started having people that had big followings come and see me. Yeah. And then they would talk about me. And then that grew my following and my notoriety. But the same thing was happening to the influencers on younger people. Yeah. So younger people were seeing these people going having these treatments and going, I want it. So it went from, you know, people in their mid-20s onwards to getting people in the early teens. Asking, How young yeah, is my the youngest. youngest person, which upset me, was fourteen. Like what? asked me, like had sent me a DM on Facebook saying if she came with her mum and the mum gave her permission, would I treat her lips? 
so she, a 14 year old 14 wanted year old. lip filler yeah. and she would have had permission from her from parents her to do yeah. that. Yeah. What was your reaction to that? Boy, um, you know, I think, the yeah, oh, yeah. No. you know what? The first thing you go through is what, like, it, it's, it's an intense anger almost because, you know, also at the same time, I'd become a parent at that time. So I'm like, this is not right. Like, one, why are you 14 thinking about this? When I was 14, all I cared about was riding my bike, playing yeah. the Sega. That was about it. Like, you know, why? And then why is your parent signing on with this? So if I kind of went in all hawk, I think I would have pushed them away and they would have got it done by someone. Right. So really it was trying to understand. And I remember that particular person, I asked them to come in with their parent. Wow. And we sat down and we had a good chat together. The mum's reasoning was good in a way. The mum's reasoning was, look, she's going to go and do this anyway. And if she's going to go and do this, I want her to do this with someone that is very good. And I don't want her to go to a back street and get damaged. Right. The daughter's thing was, oh, my lips are small. Everyone's teasing me about this. Which is crazy because you know how when we young, we got teased for having big, for so many You know, things, it's, yeah. it's just flipped on its side. So one of the biggest things I was able to discuss with the door was that her face is still changing, her body's still changing, and it will continue to factually, physiologically, between 18 and 21. So that may all change. Yeah. And obviously then the reliance upon needing to treat these treatments and maintain. And the risks, which she wasn't aware of. You yeah. know, I think sometimes I think it's easy to just dye in your hair when you see on Instagram and there's a lot of things that can go wrong. So actually, when I did that and we had an informed conversation, Dort was put off and happy to wait. And mum felt, you know, happy that she'd come. So I think it's education is a key part of it. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's not everybody like that. There's people yeah. that you said will just cut the check um, and do it. Yeah. Well, I know that there were aspects when it came to the NHS where they would give young people cosmetic surgery mm. if they thought that they were under emotional distress, yeah. I believe. So... I remember a story of, I think it was Nikki, she was on Big Brother. She got yeah. a boob job at 16 because yeah. her small frame was such a big issue for her. Yeah. Do you do you understand that? And how do you balance, you know, obviously there's the rules of being a doctor, you cause no harm. Yeah. So, like, how do you balance that? No, you're completely right. So, you know, I think people forget how much our physical parents or how we feel about our physical parents is interlinked with our mental health. It's a big part. And being able to treat that one thing and have a positive impact on that mental health is a great responsibility. But you're right, it was abused. Yeah. So I remember when I was, I was doing my plastics rotation then, and you would have families of people that had breast implants. You know, mom, daughter, grandma, like <laughs> aunt, everyone had breast implants. Because, everybody, yeah, because everybody knew the tick box of what to say. Oh, I feel low mood. I can't show anyone my body. There was like a tick box. So people knew and were doing it and having it done. And it's a lot different now and a lot better, thank goodness, where actually people are scrutinizing, is there really an emotional deficit in this? And I think one of the biggest parts of all of this is the consultation. That's the biggest bit. When you sit down and you have that discussion with the person, you're really understanding it. Is it because they want to do it? Is it because pressure from society or someone else? Or is it because there's an underlying problem with how they see themselves that if they have that particular treatment, yeah. it's not going to make them happy. And that's the worst thing you can do. Because if someone has something like body dysmorphia and you turn around and you, you ignore that and you go, right, let's do this treatment, they're not going to be happy. 
And all you've done is they've spent more money and they're not happy and they're going to keep repeating that cycle again. Yeah. You made a reference, actually, that you've mm. coined. It's Snapchat um, dysmorphia, mm. selfie dysmorphia, mm. and I'm going to say Instagram dysmorphia yeah. as well. So there is BBLs, Botox, and botched fillers yeah. all everywhere now. Mm. What do you feel like the role of social media has had on the way people want to look? Yeah. And is it getting quite unnatural? I think people now have an unrealistic expectation of what beauty is. Yeah. You know, I think before when I was first starting out, people would bring images of their favorite celebrity or different bits. People don't do that now. They bring pictures of themselves that have been altered with filters or apps. Yeah. They say, I want to look like that. And Can they? Is it possible? In some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. Yeah. And that's where the, the kind of consultation comes in to go, is what your expectation of what you want is real? I had someone that wanted all their paws gone. <laughs> and I was like, you can't take your paws away. And yeah. they didn't really understand that. And they're showing me images of other people. And I'm like, that's a filter and makeup and more. But because people see these images or grow up seeing these images, they look at that and think, okay, that's real. So I think social media does have a responsibility in actually almost flagging images that have been altered. You know, we had it through COVID. The moment you put anything COVID-related, your post will be flagged. So you can flag, you know, the coding on there. I think social media companies should do that so people can see, oh, this image has been altered. You know, what do they have to lose on that? No one has, but it can then give a better representation to people and go, actually, yeah, that's why that looks that good or that's why that person looks this That is a lot of pressure for the Instagram girls who are editing. (laughs) Even me, I like a little skin smooth, you know, a little... Tweak in a little face. But there's nothing wrong with it. There is nothing wrong with it, I think, as long as you're being honest with it. And and that's what I think. I think there's nothing wrong with it as long as you're being honest with it. But sometimes, also, I do feel bad for you because you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, right? So if you're honest with it, oh, well, you're fake then, you know? Yeah. And it's in this. And then if you don't say it, then say, well, surely not. So it, it is a hard position to be with. But I think the onus on the platforms themselves is the first part. Because if you do that, then no one can really get away with it. And then it opens up the conversation. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But I, I'm not going to lie. I don't want to advocate for that for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that much, but, you know, I like a little tweet. So, um, again, I, when it comes to people being influenced by social media, when mm. it comes to these cosmetic treatments, the pressure is getting worse. Mm. People are really struggling. And I know that cosmetics is not... It's not cheap. Mm. So people are going down the route of going to other countries to get mm. cheap surgeries and that that some people are dying. Mm. Um, some people are coming back looking amazing. Mm. And they're then coming also to people like you to mm. fix the damage has been done. What's your thoughts about people like going out of country mm. to afford better treatments? So do you yeah. feel like the level of care is, is the same? Yeah. So I think there's two parts to it. So... I talked about this recently and I said, you know, there's nothing wrong with people going abroad because they're great institutions in every country from Africa to America. We can't just say all the best doctors are here. Yeah. The not, turkey doctors hit exactly, sometimes. Those, know, those exactly. jobs are... Yeah, you know it's good. But that's when you're going there to see the best. Yeah. You may go and find the best eye doctor is in America and pay and go there. That's fine. You know, you the best arm doctor might be in Venezuela, whatever. But if you're going purely on cost, that's where it goes wrong. Right. Because if you're looking for a cheap deal abroad or in the UK, because that's usually what drives the people to go cost, that's when you're going wrong. 
you know, everybody loves a dip, right? Yeah. I understand that. But when it comes to your face and your body and your health, that is not where we should be cutting corners. And as you said, people have died. Yeah. You know, it's no joke. Is that, you know, botched is one of the least of your worries. You know, losing your life. You know, you've yeah. seen that young mom who died and, you know, left the kids just for BBL. Oh, yeah. You know, so I think when people are going purely based on cost, it's going to go wrong. I always yeah. say you pay cheap, you pay twice. Wow. Um, if you're lucky, you know. Yeah. And it's, I think what's crazy for me, so I've had a number of cosmetic surgeries mm. at this point in time. And actually, I think I've had one abroad mm. and um, one in the UK. Mm. And it's crazy now because I did, oh no, I've had two, three cosmetic surgeries. <laughs> confessions, <Good>. confessions <laughs> of a natural girl. No, t- two abroad mm. and... Anyway, it doesn't matter. But I think that there's a lot, there was a a part of me that almost blocked out the risk. It was like, Mm. it'll be fine. But I was going to the best doctors in that category. So I know that for me, if I wanted like, you know, liposuction, I wasn't going to go to, you know, country Mexico and the country of Mexico and go to the random doctor that everyone goes to. There's a really good guy like in Spain. And I went to him because he's the best guy. But I blocked out the risks. So why do you think like women are, are willing to like forget the fact that this is actually surgery mm. just to look really good? The pressures of it, I think, isn't it? I think you can rationalize something to yourself. So when I do a consultation, I tell people what can go wrong. And sometimes they're looking at me like, why are you trying to scare me? <laughs> like, I'm surely coming here to have this treatment. Like, you should be trying. But I'm like, no, you should be scared. Because you should understand the risks. And if you still understand them and you still want it, then you truly do. Mm-hmm. But for many people, as you say, I think they tell themselves a lie because they know if they actually really took on board so many of the different risks, they wouldn't go through the procedure themselves. And that's about consent. You know, the ability as an adult to consent to something. You have to understand the risk versus the benefits. Yeah. I get that. And I know that you do a lot of fixing mm. of people. Um, what would you say is your most like lucrative and most consistent kind of work you do in this world of cosmetics? Well, I got the nickname Lip Doctor. Yeah. Um, and that was because I was just doing so many. Um, and, you know, it's mad because when I first started out, I wasn't really correcting anything. And I think that's because the market changed. Mm. You know, most of the patients I was seeing were having treatments for their first time or maybe they've had one done before. Now, when I'm seeing patients, these are patients that have had work done elsewhere for several different times. And unfortunately, gone by cost and things have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing everything from abscesses and pus in the lip to people losing parts of their lip. Necrosis, um, to people right? Necrosis, yeah. Um, to people um, having permanent fillers put in the lip or not even knowing. The craziest thing is when the majority of people come and see me, they don't know what's been injected in them. Right. And I'm a bit like, if you went to a restaurant and they just put this dish in front of you. You wouldn't just nam it and eat it out, would you? You wouldn't. You, yeah. you would be like, what's in here? Like, what is in there? What did you use? So if you were like that with your food, or even your bag, if you went to buy this bag, you'd be like, right, okay, what's this bag? What lever is it? You know, what brand is it? You'd ask these questions. How can you not do that about something that's going to be put into your face or your body? Mm-hmm. You know, um, but a lot of people don't. Yeah. And, they, and like you said, you said that thing, they kind of put the blinkers on. They go, I'm having this done. Close their and eyes, they close and, hope their eyes the and hope for the best. And that's the worst strategy there is. You know, you need to ask these questions and be aware of what's going to happen to you. What is the uh, average lifetime cost of basically lip filler? Because there's, you know, treatment mm. price, but you have to keep getting it done. Yeah getting it unfilled, it migrates, you get this, you get it done again. Realistically, in a lifetime, if a girl starts at 20, 
how much could she end up spending on lip filler? Yeah. So in terms of cost, costs usually depend on obviously the place, person that's doing it, the amount that's going to be used maybe twice a year. Right, you know, okay. average, right? You know, some people a bit more, but that should be the average. So then if we're talking about having a top up, which is about 400 pound yeah. twice a year. So that's like 800 pound per year. Then depending on how long you decide to keep having that aesthetic for, mm-hmm. you know, each decade you're going into there, it's the grand on top. If I do my maths, because I love, I'm, mm. a, I'm an accountant, yeah. that's, oh, that's yeah, my yeah. vibe. <laughs> so maybe like their first year could be 1,200. Yeah, yeah. And then actually, if you did it every year at that level over yeah. a 10 year, if you start at 26 and then yeah. 36, you still want to do it. Yeah. You could be looking at at least 12 to 24,000 pounds for are. having lip filler. Yeah. So and that's just lip filler. That's just you know, lip that's filler. Just that's lips. not even the cheeks. cheeks that's not the, jaw, the Botox. The Botox, anything the, the else. The jaw. <laughs> oh, child. So actually, people could spend up to, let's say, 3,000 yeah, a year yeah. for these are the non invasive treatments. Yeah. yeah. That you need a whole job for that. Yeah. Let's be real. Yeah. Put a, in a SIP account just for the <laughs> cosmetic account bank, just yeah. for like you know saving for this. Yeah. And actually, that's a good point about is is there a balance between you know going for these treatments that you will have to maintain mm. or going so, for something permanent like say a lip lift? Because I know a lot yeah. of people are, are looking at lip, yeah. lip lifts now when actually they're getting their brow lifts as well. Yeah. There's the what's it called the. Um, the thread lift and the, the thread oh, hate oh, oh thread oh, lifts are so bad yeah and um, I know what you mean fox eye fox eye okay yeah. we're going to talk about that yeah, and yeah. also ponytail face ponytail lift ponytail face lift yeah so what's your thoughts on the invasive versus non-invasive treatments they both have their place um, and I think what's happened is we've seen the market grow and technology improve more and more people going for non-invasive treatments because it's ability to control the end result or reverse something, right? So as you said, the worry is people blink because they don't want things to go wrong. So if you have something that is semi-permanent and that you can remove, it becomes more attractive to you, right? Yeah. So initially, that's why people start to go through the non-surgical route. But then they realize there's one limits to it, okay? Because I always say a non-surgical result is great, but never going to be a surgical result. And also as well, the maintenance over time. So it really depends on the person and that consultation. You know, if I'm speaking to a lady in her 50s and she's wanting a specific treatment, like you say, a lip lift or volume to her lip, I might sway her more to the more surgical area because it's going to last longer. It's going to be easier for her to maintain and she's going to get a better result than someone who, who is in their late 20s where they're very young and you want to kind of fend off having the more permanent treatments and have a more holistic approach. So actually, is there areas we can work on your skin or things that are semi-permanent that can achieve a similar result but not be as invasive? I've seen the difference. And there's one theme of content on YouTube, especially in the surgery world, is about... Um, how much her face may cost than yeah. the face of a celebrity. And they say like three nose jobs, five mm. eyebrow lifts and jaw removal yeah. and cheek implant. And I think there's a lot of assumptions mm. being made um, and costing that. So I wanted to show you Bella's face. Yeah. And I wanted you to share with me your thoughts on yeah. how much her face costs. And if yeah. you think she's going down the route of more of a filler situation yeah. versus permanent. Because yeah. I think that a lot of people are assuming that she's had a lot of these permanent treatments. We know about the nose job. Yeah. But I actually don't think it's as intense as people are making it out. Yeah. So I think 
with Bella, I think for any celebrity, actually, when it's been a long period of time that they've been in the public eye, people forget how much puberty changes what you look like, mm-hmm. right? So sometimes people get a picture from like when they're in their early teens yeah. and things and go, wow, you look different. Of course, you grew up, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of changes do happen to the face. The face has changes in terms of where fat is distributed, you know, how the jaw is angular, you know, the bone, everything does change. So I think that probably accounts for a lot of it with Bella, but also at the same time, we have to say allegedly, um, yeah. I think there may have been certain tweaks. Now, the biggest thing for Bella, which I think people talk about with her and a number of celebrities right now, is this high cheekbone kind of sucked in yeah. look. Buccal so, fat removal. Fat is removal. this real? Exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. And I'm very convinced she's had it in my opinion. Um, and a number of people do have it. And it's probably, I think, going to be the biggest trend that we see this year. I'm really scared of buccal mm. fat removal. I mm. think it makes people's face look more aged. So this is it. So in many ways, you're right. And I think I got, you know... There was a lot of quotes taken from me where it was um, John Legend's wife had recently had it. Chrissy, yeah. yeah. And people were like, oh, you know, Dr. Escher, you know, what do you think about it? Should she have had it? And I was giving my balanced opinion on it. And they were saying like, you know, some when you remove the buckle fat, so the buckle fat, for anyone that doesn't know, that's fat within the lower part of the face, okay? Um, just below the cheekbone. Um, and how we remove it is by going through the mouth. Um, and it's quite a simple procedure. And we take away that fat and we stitch the area. There's no scar on the outside. So that's part of the beauty of it. And what it does is give this kind of contoured, sucked in appearance to the lower cheekbone. Um, so that ability where people kind of pout in those photos to try and define the area. Yeah. Now... When we do that, people can look really good and it can give them a more defined aesthetic. The problem is when we start removing fat in areas, it can age us because that fat also, together with the other different fat pads in the bodies, helps support the different aspects of our face as we age. So when we lose fat as we age, our skin becomes more saggy, we become more gaunt and we look older. So it can accelerate that process in particular people. So you have to be very careful in choosing it because, yeah, you might look great for a period of time, but then you might speed up the aging process as you exactly yeah. said. And that's what I find is say, like the younger people say, but Bella, you know, doing certain things that age her now. So maybe she's only 20, I don't know her exact yeah. age, but early 20s, but actually has a more mature look. And I think, is it is there a case of people wanting to look more mature? Yeah, like loads. I have people, a lot of girls that come in and they don't want to look like kids or babies. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, you're going to want that when you're 40, you know, yeah, yeah. you're going to want that youthfulness to keep it out. But people want to look more mature. They wow. want to look more aged. I had one girl that actually, her request was, she wanted to look more naughty. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, that was the most weird. She's listening to this. I won't say her name, don't I? <laughs> and she knows because I, I laughed in that consultation. And like, yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't hold it in because I never had someone ask me that before. But I and, know what she means. But see, you know what I she know, means, right? Like, there's people with, ba- like, I know I have a more baby face. Yeah. Like, to be my child, be a bit more round. Yeah. And then naughty is like more like the fox eyes. Yeah, she wanted snatch. to look, she was saying more sexy because she felt she looked like a little girl. Wow. And cutesy and she didn't want that wow. she wanted to look she wanted to have a sex appeal in a way that she saw like with Megan Fox and all of these people God. so in a way she was going to look more mature and older and leave all that stuff behind um, but the yeah, A is very interesting but it's a very common ask of people and I always say look kind of be hesitant on that because 
you know, as we age, we're going to age. Age is going to catch up with all of us, no matter how good your doctor is. So, you know, be a bit hesitant when you're trying to get a more mature look. I, I, I hear that. I don't want a mature look, but no. I think that's because I'm yeah. mature now. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think the, uh, the cost of, say, Bella's face is right Ooh. now? Because um, people will put like 200,000 spent yeah. on cosmetics. It's, a, it's yeah. a guess, but maybe yeah. a wild guess. Yeah. So if we say, if we say allegedly, allegedly. she's had a nose job, she's going to probably get it from the good people. So we're talking anywhere between seven to 10 grand for that. Buckle fat removal, again, about three grand. Um, fox eye, thread lift, but I think she's had it sur- allegedly surgically done, not with the thread lifts and more permanent. Again, you're talking about maybe three, four grand there. So we're going into, you know, between 20 to 30 grand in her face. And that's not counting anything skin. So people forget, we talk about all of these invasive procedures, but the biggest investment that celebrities do and most people that do in clinics with their skin, skin. because no matter how much you do all of these things, if your skin is very aged, you're still not going to look as great. So you really need to focus on that aspect too. And that can cost from laser, you know, to prescriptive skincare to everything else. So so it's basically an investment. So (laughs) what do you think of the, the term... You're not ugly, you're just broke. Oh, broke, yeah. Oof. You know, my <laughs> friends talk to this about me and I'm, I'm not going to expose any of my boys and say who it was. But when I became in the field, what I did, one of my boys asked me a question and actually I thought, wow, this is, he's actually thinking about this properly. He says, why should I make so effort in trying to find a 10 yeah. when I can find a four and bring it to you? Oh my God. This scares me. I really hope that this isn't what's in men's head. But I'm not be, saying who said that to, to me. Be, to be fair, it but, could be cheaper than whining and dining a 10. It, get a four with a nice personality. You know what I mean? And then get some nice treatment. I was sure. I had to stay silent. I had to digest the information when he said it to me. Because at first I was like, what type of wild question is it? Then I actually appreciated that he had actually thought about it and what he was thinking about. And when he broke it down to me, he had valid points in a way that he was like, oh, look, you know, a 10 given, you know, that would be so much more drama, so much more thing where his four would be this way and do. And I thought, wow, like, wow. wow. Um, but people do think like that, you know? And wow. so this whole, that thing, that's where that quote comes from. You know, yeah. you know, just like you just broke because you can take someone that, looks a set way and invest them and they will be it's particularly with females yeah i say guys were limited in that <laughs> way you know but particularly with females when you i've seen transformations where you're like these are two different people yeah you know it's and, really and, real. That, and that can happen swimming on the first date doesn't matter if she's got all the cosmetic surgeries to yeah. make her look permanently good yeah. and i think that then what role do you think like um the male gaze, what role do you think that plays on women's insecurities mm. and the desire to do these things? Because mm. I actually think that women are are inspired by other women yes. to like look good versus it actually being about men. But have you, do you ever think there's an impact of the men? And have you seen any men bring their women in and say, I want my girl to look like this? You know what? It's man, it's the other way around. So men are more hesitant for the women to come in. Right. You know, so usually the female will come in and the guy sitting in the corner quiet. He's like, oh, no, nah, I don't know what you're doing with messing with all of these things. He's more hesitant. But because I think a lot of the males think, when they think of these treatments, they think of it going wrong. And they think of the people who look very bad in the media with it. They don't understand 
that actually can be done well. And sometimes I play a game like with the, the man's like that. I say, okay, please tell me your top five natural girls that you think, yeah, I like them. And they'll say it. And usually two or three of those people are people I've treated. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> then, uh, yeah, but, and I, and yeah. And I won't say who, but I'll say yeah, two or three out of them. And they go, no way. And I say, yeah. And so it's about that perspective. In terms of when you said females having a great impact, correct. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Females really appreciate beauty of each other much more than males do. We do. And they talk about it a lot. Like, I will have it. My phone will blow up if people have reunions. That's the biggest place where people analyze reunions. Because I will get a text and it'll be like, oh, this reunion, this girl from school, see this picture. She's done something. She's saying she hasn't. Yeah. But tell me she has. You know, so people understanding it, appreciating it. There's a competitiveness to it. And there's also an appreciation of it. Yeah. And I think that is a big driver. But there's no denying that also what society, which is either man or female, sees as attractive is also a big driver yeah. too, you know, and we've seen that like in terms of what we've looked at with features, it goes in wax and waning, you mm -hmm. know, before it was very skinny, five gap, yeah. you know, this particular, look, this is what we wanted. Then all of a sudden Kardashians came along, you know, and it was like curves yeah. and it was full well, of features. Curves were around and They before, were around already. But then all of a sudden people like the curves on a different kind of body, yeah. which is scary, but mm. that to see the way that the frame of women have changed yeah. by this false like perspective. Yeah. But, and then, um, and actually that's a really valid point because I remember I recently saw you, I, mm. I went to your clinic, I was like, I just need to be beautiful. I think I said that to <laughs> yeah. you. And it's only because I went to an event and I saw Naomi Campbell. And I just, I was like, I was like in awe. I was like, why does she look so good? Yeah. And I was like, what is she doing? I, I, whatever she's done, I need. Like, like, please. And you're like, okay, first, we need to work on skin building <laughs> yeah. first. And yeah. then we can have, we, I had my, the phyllo treatment yes, yeah. as well. And a little bit of Botox and that situation. Yeah. Cute. So we're on round one, but I'm trying to be, extra beautiful yeah, <laughs> at yeah, the end yeah, of the yeah. year. I think with no people like Lumi Campbell and other people, it's small bits over time done really, really well with a big focus, as you said, and I said on skin. skin. Um, when you do that, you really tend to still look natural if that's a thing I don't believe the word natural I don't think any of us are natural we all change ourselves in some way when we're born you know if we were all natural we'd be running around hairy naked you know mm -hmm. think yeah. we, we don't so it's a, where the line of where you change yourself is and that's different for people but I think if you do it in small elements and you do it holistically whilst focusing on the skin you can have a very more natural look, look yeah I love that do you think like right now, the cosmetic industry is basically profiting off the insecurity of women. And mm. how do you balance like the commercialization of, of you know, something that is actually a health matter? Mm. I, I agree with you. I think there is a big part of the industry that does that. No doubt. You mm -hmm. know, if you don't, then you're lying to yourself. And I think as any practitioner in this industry, you have to also reflect on your role in it. Because I remember when I became a parent, um, that was the first time I started looking about what I'm doing. And, you know, I had that asked me many times, do you feel you're part of the problem? 
And you have to ask yourself those honest questions. And I came up in my head when I looked at what I really do. And I gave the kind of journalist analogy. So I go, there's great journalists out there, but then there's Piers Morgan. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. Not everyone's a Piers Morgan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And unfortunately, he's part of what that industry is. Yeah. The people that are profiting off people's insecurities are part of our industry. But there's a good majority of like there's good journalists, good practitioners that are doing it safely and ethically. And that's where I put my role into. And that's where when you see me, I'm fighting a lot for regulation, for laws to be in place. You know, we've now made it illegal for people under the age of 18 to have Botox and Dermophilus, which that never happened before. So is that illegal now? It's now illegal. So if anyone has a treatment under the age of 18, the person who does that, yeah, that treatment and, could be prosecuted. Yeah, exactly, which didn't exist before. Wow. And then when I told people about this, I think it was on the front page of a magazine when I'd sent an open letter to the health minister at the time about this. A lot of people were like, well, surely it is. And I was like, no, it's not. So focusing on that aspect is there. So my role, I feel, in it is making sure if it is done, it's done for the right reasons and it's done balanced and ethically. And if I do that, then I'm contributing in a good way, not yeah. in a negative way. And I also think that sounds so shallow but looking and feeling beautiful can also save lives like just knowing that you've had that little treatment you've got that glow it's like your hair shaking in the wind you feel like another person so like I see the value in like treatments for women I like them you know I feel good from it so I think it's all about a balance but there's a level of maturity that people need to have when they're approaching it I would say from leaving the NHS now I'm not saving lives I'm changing lives and that's almost in the impact of how you feel about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you say, if you are someone that's able to balance the risk versus benefits and you're truly doing it for yourself, then you should be allowed to do it. A hundred percent. And I think when I first saw you, I was working with a cosmetic company. It was maybe mm. Juvederm or something like that, mm. at like an event. And I, it was like, like more like a professional event. I and I remember that. seeing you speaking on stage and I was thinking, who is this doctor? He knows everything. <laughs> He's a man of color. He's Nigerian. I was like, <laughs> Oh, I need to like find out. And I think I instantly went onto your Instagram mm. and then I found out, oh, you are, you know, known in this space, mm. particularly around like lip fillers mm. and helping to fix people. And you had a lot of experience. So what's your like background and like when it comes to being an actual like trained mm. surgeon, trained doctor and moving into the world of cosmetics? Yeah. So um, I went to med school in 2000, so five years, graduated in 2005. Um, typically being Nigerian, that probably was one of the five choices I was allowed to do. You yeah. know? My parents were like, you can either be a doctor, a dentist, accountant, a lawyer or engineer. I remember that. And I actually wanted to do graphic design. I was very good at sketching, still am. And that's what I wanted to do. My dad was like, Nah, that's not rolling in this house. So um, I kind of was pigeonholed that way. And I went with it because I had a big respect for my parents, which I still do today. But I think when then going into the medical field and having that interest in art and design and everything else, then the area of aesthetics or plastics became the most attractive part for me because I was doing stuff with my hands. The canvas was different rather than it being a piece of paper. It was people's faces or bodies and the work was meticulous. So straight away, I thought, this is it. This is what I want to do. Um, my parents didn't really understand it. Yeah. You know, they were like, why don't you be a pediatrician? You're good with kids. <laughs> but like, you know, for me, it was like, look, this is where I want to be. Now, when I started training and, and I was on NHS purely, I remember when I decided that I wanted to leave and grow my own brand. 
And that was a hard thing because my dad, again, being an accountant and pushing me this way, was like, you have a secure NHS job, you know, a pension. Yeah. You know, and didn't really understand the speciality I was going into. And he was like, nah, this is not really going to happen. So we had to cut a deal in a way that I was still working in NHS, started to try and build my private practice. And only when my income in my private practice had equaled what I was making in NHS and was stable for a year, would he allow me to leave? And you can imagine this. I'm a grown-ass yeah, man. I was going to say, I'm a grown man, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, adult. literally. You know, I, I'm an adult. But to be fair, I was listening to him because he was right. Like, yeah. I think sometimes people, when they have a passion and they're in a different job, they sometimes think they have to quit everything and they have to jump across. But actually, the reality is you need stability, you know, to pay for many different things, your house, your bills, and be able to actually almost invest into what you wanted to do. Yeah. So the money I was making, I was all invested into the things I had then, yeah. you know, the little couch I had then, you know, the products I could buy and all the business started generating the income itself. Yeah. So as an NHS doctor, what was mainly your speciality? What was you, yeah. what were you doing there? So I started off as an NHS surgical trainee. Mm -hmm. um, so when you graduate, so you become a junior doctor and at that stage, you're kind of like green. You're just really a scribe. You, come, you, you don't know that much. Um, but then you kind of go, what speciality you want to do? And actually, it's quite fast because you should know that within the first two years, which is crazy, particularly picking something you're going to do for the rest of your life. And there's so many different specialities. But it was very lucky I kind of knew that path. So I applied to have what we call is a surgical training rotation. And, and I picked Yorkshire, which was one of the biggest training um, DNUs there were. So that's what I was focused on and went into. And I got to level where we call registrar, which is before kind of consultant level. And I could have stayed on completely to be a consultant in the NHS, but that's where I was introduced to aesthetics, like non-surgical treatments, which started to grow. And yeah. I remember actually speaking to my consultant at the time um, and going, look, I really like this bit, you know, mm -hmm. should I go and do this? And I remember he said the biggest, easy, simple bit of advice. He said to me like, well, if it fails, you can always come back. And you know what? That again to me was so simple because I almost thought, well, if I'm committed to this path and I fail, I can't go back. But he was like, you are qualified You're doctor. You're a qualified You're doctor. Trained. Yeah. Yeah, if you go to this field and it does, you can come back. Wow. And yeah. that really was great for me. Just to work with my dad way where he was like, nah, yeah. <laughs> you have to, you know, have a plan, an exit plan. And one of his biggest things was like, he wanted security and stability. So when I had left the surgical training regime to kind of focus on building my own personal brand, my dad still wanted me to do further training within the NHS as well to have something to be wholly represented. So that's when I went also on top and did general practice. So I did that for three years. And While running way, your business. Whilst running my business. That is a lot of there. effort. So it's a lot, um, but it made sense and it really helped round me as a doctor, but then also as well as my ability to have a business at the end of it. Because I think a lot of doctors and dentists, if they're watching this, we're not business minded. Mm -hmm. You know, we're very clinical. Um, yes. We understand, you know, diagnosis, treat and do, but not a lot of business mining. And I was really lucky because my dad being an accountant being Nigerian, that was the focus from the start, you know, yeah. about business owning land and all of this. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so I had the mixture of those two, which kind of made me almost a bit unique that I understood the business side, but then also was clinical at the same As time. As well. And I think that it's interesting that when you went into um, cosmetics, it mm. wasn't as big as an industry as it is nah, today. No. And the way that the industry has boomed, mm. um, have you seen that transformation? And oh. that wasn't part of your plan. Yeah, like it was crazy. I always thought that 
where I had kind of sat with my dad and come up with this plan that we would have this kind of general practice that did non-surgical treatments within it. So you had your medicine and you still had that part. Never did I think that when I had finished that part that actually I was going to be solely doing this and have multiple clinics across the UK. And that just showed my trajectory, but then also the growth in the industry itself. Yeah. Like, you know, you have so many players in the market now, uh, not just in the UK and internationally. And, you know, from building products to treatments to what you can do compared to when I started, it's a whole different ballgame. So I've got some questions, my mm. eye shakers. Usually I ask them in the beginning, mm. but we're going to ask them now. Go. And then um, <laughs> just, you know, just some opinions Go. and just make Go. you feel a bit awkward. Go. Do you think Beyonce or Rihanna have had any work done? And what do you think they may have done? I'm going, to be break, I'm going to be breaking some guys' hearts here because, again, when it comes into the top of who they say is a natural beauty, Beyonce is up there and also Rihanna is. Yeah. But I don't, I don't want to break it to you guys. I think they've had a little help along the way. Okay? Just, I think it's a little tweaks along the way. If you look at Beyonce's body shape now. Oh, not the Beyonce Yeah, there. if you look at Beyonce's body shape now, to what it was. Yeah. Now, age can play a role, but that distribution of that thickness, yeah. those ratios, yeah. I don't know if they're all God-given. Yeah. They still look good. Why? They still look good. You can't deny it. Yeah. But I don't think they're fully God-given. I'm not mad because I'm a mum. Yeah. I've had two babies. Yeah. And listen, if it wasn't for the surgeon's table, I would yeah. have to live in Spanx permanently. Yeah. And, you know, I, I love a good shapewear mm. even now, but... Mm. I get it. I think it's yeah. all right. It's all right. You know what? If any woman wants to do something yeah. to their body, I'm, yeah. I'm down for it. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's when they claim natural. This is that. it. And But then again, I always say you're damned if you do and you're, you're damned, damned if, if you, you don't. don't. So it is a hard place to be in. Yeah. I think people should just let people, as long as they're not harming anyone and they're not harming themselves, I think people should let people be. And if they are, I think that would open up the conversation for people to be more honest about what they do. Yeah. Actually, that moves nicely onto why do you think people feel uncomfortable talking mm. about what they've had done? Because of public opinion. So I always give the example of cosmetic dentistry, right? Because that's still very invasive. Mm. A lot of people assume people get dental treatment purely on a health basis. And they do for abnormal bites or dentition, they do get. But a lot of dentistry is purely for cosmetic reasons, mm. wanting them to look good, mm -hmm. right? So the same reason people seek surgical treatments. But if someone goes and gets the teeth white now or goes and gets veneers, people are less judgy about that than them having Botox or other treatments. And what's the difference? It's time that's elapsed and change in public opinion. So I think we will see that change over time, but people need to understand the, difference. the reasons why people go for these things are very similar. Yeah. Not because they've got body dysmorphia, some do, but not because they've got some underlying deep, deep psychological problems, just because they want to do it. Yeah. I also think there's a little bit of judgment when people get stuff done because it's an equalizer. Yeah. And some people don't like the idea that yeah. someone's able to level themselves yeah. up with surgery. Yeah. Like, oh, I look good now. Yeah. Like, well, it's just because she's had surgery. That's why yeah. she looks better. Like people are actually quite judgmental because yeah. they can't like do that well, as it well. it does change people. I don't know because you guys are all young in this room. You might not remember the show The Swan, but there was a show The Swan in America which did that. So basically, they would take a couple. The man would come with his wife, say so she, she needs a makeover. She deserves it. You know, she's had a hard life. 
And this was a real makeover show. So they had surgeons, cosmetic <laughs> dentists, you know, dietitians. That woman went from A to a supermodel. Wow. The problem was people were leaving each other after the show. So even though it was like they brought the whole family saying, we want this for her. That girl's left. <laughs> she left her husband. For, left her husband, found a, a Tyson Beckford somewhere. She said, and I look gone, good and now. gone. So, you know, you're right. That probably has a part to play, particularly when people in couples don't want it. They're mm-hmm. like, well, no, hold on. You're looking good. Yeah. I need to step up myself, you know, so that challenge is there. Is the money in medicine or aesthetics medicine? Yeah. Better. Yeah, like which one? Which one has... Oh, aesthetic more? medicine. Yeah. Yeah, like by far. Like, yeah, like by far. Like, in, I think when you're in medicine as a vocation, it's a hard thing because I, I remember where even people did private work, it was shunned on because people were a bit like, you should be almost feel ashamed of making money. Mm. You know, that this is a vocation, so it's not about the money, it's about the people. Why can't it be about both? Yeah. You Especially know, in, compared to American doctors. Compared to American doctors, compared to elsewhere in the world. It should be about both. People that are doing their jobs should be able to live and should be rewarded for what they do. And at the same time, the people that get the treatment should then also feel good and be treated well. But in aesthetics, the private industry is much more that than you would see on the basis of medicine. And that's why you see, you know, the ability to grow and build a business is a lot more, you know. In yeah. that and the funny thing is that health is like so valuable, but this, the system here seems to be quite broken for mm. the workers, the doctors, the nurses, as well as the people. Like, I don't know what's going on. I think for a long time, you know, because I was in the NHS, the NHS was run on goodwill. You know, a lot of the times people just expected you to do stuff, expected you to do more hours, expected you to work longer. And that wasn't getting rewarded. And the biggest time that was shone on was in the pandemic mm. where people were coming out and yes, clapping for the NHS. But then when the world went back to the normal, and they see nurses are needing pay rises, which they deserve. Yeah. We're silent. The government's silent again. So I think until people relook about how we are treating those services, yes, it's a vocation, but they should be paid well for what they do. You know, we're still going to have the same issues. Yeah, you have to have a, a business brain or mm. commercial brain behind it. Mm. And actually that moves on to nicely the fact that you've then progress into becoming a founder mm. and building a product-based brand mm. based on your experiences yeah, with people. Yeah. What's that journey look like? Man, because right at the beginning, when before I even had my first like medical practice, I used to go into space and K loads. Um, and, Bougie. Yeah, yeah, not yeah, yeah. not, no, 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 not boots, a super space drug. And K. Space and K. I, yeah, because I left that apricot St. Ice Grub alone. We weren't trying to mess with those things. No. You wasn't good for us. You so knew, I was trying. Yeah. I was already upgrading to the AHAs and the BHAs. I was in there. So I was going in there and I would see on the shelves like the Dr. Brands. So I would see Dr. Murad, you know, oh, Zelens, yeah. everything. And I remember the lady who still follows me now, the owner of the store, um, I was be like, yeah, I'm going to have a product on these shelves one day. And, you know, I think she just thought I was just gas talking, you know. Um, but that was my dream. So to be actually living it and doing it now is very surreal to me. But also it's a very different learning. And I love learning new things. It's so different from growing a clinic brand because managing money in it is so different. Like when you have clinics, clinics are cash rich. You People come in, have the service, they pay for it. They also give a deposit in advance. So you're yeah. already getting money in the bank. When you are creating products at the beginning, you are broke. Like literally you are hemorrhaging money Ooh. in terms of 
establishing that brand, you know, making a product, the packaging, the stability, the formulations, the safety, how are you going to distribute that brand? By that time, you know, depending on how big you want your brand or how many SKUs or how many number of products you have, you can be down by any much by half a mil. Wow. Yeah, before you're making true. anything, you know. So, um, it, and then when you've got then the sales, the sales are in something called PO, so purchase orders. So they have a due diligence to give you the money 30 to 60 days after they have the product. So it's not like clinic where you're like, okay, here's the product, where's my money? You're waiting a month, two months, sometimes three months to get it back. Yeah. And you're still having to generate more product. So I always say the biggest thing I've had in this learning is having a CFO. So that's a finance person to look and look at P&L, so profit and loss, and be able to look forward more and plan when your dips and where you lost, you can manage cash flow. Yeah. Managing cash flow in a brand is a key part of that journey yeah and it's the fact that it's so cash heavy that mm. a lot of people want to start brands mm. but don't realize the commitment that it takes up yeah. front so yeah. do you have any advice for anyone who's thinking about building a beauty brand mm. or a product based brand um like how can they start without probably going broke yeah i, I think the biggest part is understanding where your end point wants to be mm -hmm. really if you understand where your end point wants to be and you work backwards then you start to make decisions earlier about what you want to do so always for me the biggest question when I sat down with my CFO was like right do you want to build this and exit at five years and sell this do you want it to be worth this particular amount if that's the case we need to go for external investment now really pump up that valuation you know get a big arm now or do you want this to be something for yourself as a slow burner that over time is that yes it will generate income but you completely own the equity of it and it was the latter. I wanted to completely own the equity of it and something from a point of view when I'm not here anymore that the kids as well could go into as well. So knowing that, that means having things ownership is very key yeah. and having things on your own basis. So developing your own e-com platform, developing your own community and also doing things deliberately, but being patient, as well, you know, yeah. and not looking too much at what others are doing because a lot of brands now, they come out, today with 2 million, 3 million seed investment up front. Yeah, you can't compete with that. Yeah. You can't. Um, but if you've generally got a good product and low customer bases, you can build organically and slowly a great brand. Yeah. And I think another thing that I found when it comes to brand building, if you if you feel like you can't do it alone, mm. I do think partnerships are a really important yeah. thing. Like finding your dream teams and people who can support you on the journey is yeah. quite important. And uh, with even some of the other guests I've spoken to, we had Sabrina on mm. and her referencing her mum being involved in helping her find ingredients mm. and a friend she called on who worked at Tom Ford. Mm. Like the power of partnership is something I, I hear as a thread very, consistently when it comes yeah. to trying to build anything collaboration is key and learning is key and i think people are afraid to ask questions i don't i ask so many questions and why i'm able to do our brand now is because of my previous learning experiences a lot of people didn't know like i had an initial brand with decm the abnormal beauty company oh, yeah. like in 2017 you know one of the biggest companies they are they got sold for two billion yeah, to to Lauder. yeah so you know, they initially, we initially collaborated to produce the first Escher product with them underneath the umbrella. And in that time, you know, I signed a deal that very much was like heavy their way because who was I and who, yeah. who they were. But many people would have said, oh, that was wrong. You should have gone for more. But the knowledge I learned of how a cosmetic company works 
how to understand building the scarcity model, marketing, distribution, different markets was more valuable than any part of that deal. So, you know, the knowledge is key. And I took that. And I mean, we know that's why I launched on QVC at first. Because a lot of people are like, why are you putting your products in QVC? That's a bit old, mm-hmm. you know, thing. And people didn't realize that the numbers that QVC do it's on insane. a thing show is insane. Yeah. You know, you could do on a show more than you would sell on Space and K, Sephora and everything in a year. But people don't realize that. And I learned yeah, we, that from being behind in that way. Nobody yeah, yeah, no one needs to know no, this. No, don't tell anyone. <laughs> cut this out. I need this. My brand the is coming. The little gems. The little yeah, gems. Yeah, yeah, QVC. Okay, we know now. Okay, I love yeah. that. Fabulous. So what's next for um, Dr. Esho, the clinic? I know you have clinics in Newcastle, Dubai, London, Wimbledon, Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. Like, what, what's the deal? You know what? I think we were talking about this just off air. You can run away and keep building and doing. And unfortunately, I lost my dad like in March of last year. Um, so very recent. And he sacrificed and worked all his life to be able to put me and my sister in education. And I know he doesn't regret that, and he didn't. But I think he thought, obviously, when he retired, this would be his time to enjoy, and he didn't get that, unfortunately. And when I saw him pass like that, it kind of made me reflect on what I'm doing. And I thought, I have to decide when enough is enough. Mm -hmm. Because you can keep chasing and chasing and go. And when you're doing that, you actually sacrifice and lose in the end. You lose time, time to yourself, time to your family, time to your friends. And... When is enough? You know, you can keep chasing the bigger house, the bigger car, the bigger the empire, the bigger everything. But we're not all getting out here alive. You know, yeah. that's only certain. So I think it's enjoying the journey as we speak. So right now, when I look at things, it's stuff that I can be touch point on, but not take too much of my time. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, that I'm not part of it. So give example, we're looking at now developing home devices within the Escher product range. So again, that's a, involving a team. So as a founder, another gem is like to understand is you're not the most important person as you think you are. Yeah. It's hiring people that are good at what they do. Yeah. And when you do that and you have that team around, then you can have the touch point aspects and move between those different businesses. You know, we I'll probably open up one more clinic and that will be it. And in London, because so, I don't want to be traveling too much because of my family. Um, we'll expand the product line in terms of the number of SKUs and the home devices. But again, that's something that becomes a bit more touch point. And I think really, man, my main focus now is as a dad, you know, just had a little girl. I've got a son already. Thank you. And that's been my focus now in terms of teaching them that kind of financial literacy and stuff that, a lot of people of our ethnicities don't have. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about, you know, understanding the, these different things, I think the soul should teach in schools, yeah. you know, giving them those tools and those aspects so they can take this forward and go on to do the same thing for their kids. 100%. I love that. Mm-hmm. Appreciate your um, feedback. Actually, one thing I want to know is give me three questions that someone should ask a doctor or practitioner mm-hmm. if they want to have some treatments okay. um, just to be safe cool um first thing is what are your qualifications no doctor should be scared to answer that okay and a lot of people don't ask that because sometimes they don't realize that person is even a doctor anyway you yeah. know so what are your qualifications how long you've been doing what you're doing where will the treatment be okay you know i've heard stories from people turning up to have treatments in the back shed to someone's bed in their room mm. it's, it's mad um the other thing is a very important thing is if things go wrong what will you do? If your doctor or your practitioner is not able to answer that question, walk out of the room. 
because there should be a plan for when things go wrong. Um, they always should be because unfortunately they can happen. You know, these are non-surgical treatments. Doesn't mean they're non-medical. They still have risks. So those, I think, are the most three important questions I'd ask anyway. Thank you. I think that's so valuable for many of the girlies who are still going to get the treatments. Yeah. They're still going to want to invest in their beauty. Mm. And that's okay mm. as long as they do it safely. Completely. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for coming today. That's all good. And where can people find you? Man, everywhere right now. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, see us on our social media um, at Dr. TJ on Esho across Instagram and at the Esho Clinic. Um, and also we have a new show launching this year um, on Channel W2. So yeah, to tune in. Love that. And I'm in for my next treatment. I think yeah. at the end of January, yeah, it's booked. It's booked. <laughs> Where are my sunscreen now? <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. Very much.